0: Bridging the gap between the eye test and the analytics. It's the Staff and Graph Podcast with your hosts, Rachel Dory and Ian Tulloch. Welcome to the Staff and Graph Podcast. Ian, I have no voice. How are you?
1: We're going to talk about playing Hurt today because you and me aren't doing too well today. I am below or under the weather. I don't know what the right saying is. I'm not feeling well. I haven't been feeling well the last day or two, but sometimes you got to play Hurt. That's what happens in an 82 game regular season. And we do this podcast every Monday. We record. We put it out on the Tuesday morning. We got to do it. We got to fight through pain today. That's what we're going to be doing.
0: That's, yeah, that's basically what's what's going to happen. I don't know when the next time I'll actually have a voice is, because I am also under the weather and coming back from a weekend of a ton of fun in Columbus, which we'll get to, but sometimes when you go and you have a ton of fun, you don't have a voice for
1: a few days. Yeah, there was that analytics conference in Columbus that I think the Columbus Blue Jackets helped put on. They
0: basically, so- yeah, they put it on. And Allison Lucan, shout out to Allison, Queen, um... They put it together, and best conference I've been to, full stop.
1: She's someone I really look up to in the media. She's a fantastic example of someone who can take the numbers, take what the coach is saying, explain it in a way that everyone can understand, and it's helping move the sport forward, I think, in a positive way. She's a good role model out there for any aspiring young uh, women hockey writers. Love Allison's work, but we're going to be talking about that in the second half of the show. In the first half, you and I were trying to figure out what to talk about today, and sometimes it's hard— in a full season trying to come up with juicy topics, because you get into the dog days of the season, and I think that's where we are right now, for being fair. We're mid February. Yeah. The playoff races are coming up. The trade deadline's about two weeks away. So we're not at the juicy point in the season yet where trade talks are heating up. We're kinda at this lull. These this last week or two, this next week or so, it's kind of a downtime for hockey stories, and you and I were trying to think, crap, what do we talk about? Well, it's like
0: well, it's for me. So our hockey season, like my hockey season at the university just ended. And so I can kind of, I've had the chance to put together a lot of like the work that I did over the season um, for my master's. And it kind of has, it's related to playing hurt. So it kind of maybe swings into the topic a bit. And so we'll get into some of that insight just because there's a lot of injuries. Seth Jones out indefinitely, um, that was announced On Monday Um, there's
1: definitely a few other key injuries Um, that's a rough one coming out of a Columbus weekend
0: yeah I was actually there um, and saw that and he went down and it kind of looked harmless but then I looked up at the scoreboard and you could tell that his foot kind of got twisted under him and the guy behind me, which I tweeted about him more than once, because he was yelling and screaming and trying to coach from the crowd. He was like, oh, yep, that's a torn ACL. I'm like, are you a
1: doctor now, too? I always DM or, or text a doctor after I see something like that, because I know that I'm not smart enough to diagnose anything. I'm an idiot. But when you see Miko Rantanen's leg bend the wrong way, you know it can't be good. So It's never a good that-
0: thing when your knee goes the opposite direction of your your. Femur, basically. Whenever
1: you're watching a pro athlete and something just looks wrong, I'm thinking of when Gordon Hayward broke his leg that one year. I'm just thinking, you know what? Oh, my God. yeah, That can't be good. That's a bad thing right
0: And you know what's even worse? What's worse? Coming back and playing on it in the very same game.
1: (laughs) Okay, so we wanted to, before we started talking about playing hurt in the NHL, for fun, we wanted to share some of our stories growing up because you played hockey competitively. You were actually really good. I think you were close to making Team Canada, if I'm not mistaken. That was
0: gymnastics. Gymnastics was my
1: actual. So gymnastics sport. was your forte. You were really good at gymnastics. See, I sucked at most of the things I did athletically. I was four foot nine when I was fourteen. I didn't hit puberty till later in life, so I kind of had the Marner build, the Barzell build, but without I the whole four talent I was foot one
0: when I was fourteen, so you know That's what? good for
1: gymnastics. That's what you want. You're bouncy.
0: That's fair. I had I was super little. You look at all the pictures of me, and I was literally four feet tall. <laughs> the top gymnasts in the world are all under five foot six.
1: They're tiny. Simone Biles, four eleven. But what's your top playing hurt moment in sports? Because mine is intramural ball hockey in university, which goes to show you just how elite my my athletic career was growing up. But you must have a better one than I have.
0: Um. It's a gymnastics one. I mean, there are definitely hockey ones, but the gymnastics one was um, we were kind of coming up on junior nationals and it was, I want to say it was like six or eight weeks out and I had been tumbling um, and bars was kind of like my specialty, which uh, hint, there's a lot of arm work involved there. Um, And I knew kind of something was wrong with my elbow because I wasn't able to catch the bar properly. I was having issues tumbling and Your arms are kind of important
1: in gymnastics. I don't know what any of these words mean, by the way. Just (laughs) a You don't know what an elbow is? (laughs) I know a tumbling in the bars. Like, I'm trying to picture... Is that the one with the two bars where you're trying to swing from one to the next? Yeah,
0: it's the uneven bars. So essentially, I knew something was wrong with my elbow, but I just didn't say anything because our team physio was all about, like, do not compete injured. And so... It got progressively worse, and finally, it was like four weeks out from the competition, I said, okay, like, I can't bend my arm. This is not ideal. So they went and they x-rayed it, and then I had a, a hairline fracture in my elbow, and they said, okay, like, we're gonna cast it, and I was like, ah, no, you're not. I have to compete in four weeks. We can do that after. And um, basically what happened was because I went to my own doctor as opposed to the, the team doctor, Um, They didn't tell my gymnastics coach. And so I trained for roughly 30 hours a week and then proceeded to compete on what was a fractured elbow. And I'm still paying the price for it, because my right arm doesn't go fully straight, and anyone who's kind of seen oh. me knows that. Um, but yeah, that's my playing hurt, and...
1: Were um, you good? Were you able to do the things you needed to do on those bar things? Were you able to flip yourself around I came and jump? first
0: overall, so like, I feel like that's okay.
1: Did they shoot you up with some kind of drug or something, to, for painkillers or something? So, um... The-
0: we had we were subject to water testing, so we had to be very careful with what we could take. Um, so I was basically, you know, like the icy hot patches. I was basically using those and just slapping them on my elbow every chance I got. Um, but there O'Neal, was no, baby. Um, there was none of that, and then my elbow sort of got fixed afterwards, although like I said, it's not really totally fixed. Um,
1: and but I you came in first in a competition against other people who were not presumably going through the same thing. So that's pretty badass.
0: Well the thing about gymnastics is your body is broken. Like it is actually broken. My body is still broken in many, many places. You're you're
1: in your, I want to say mid twenties now. Now that you're 24, yeah, and you're basically an old man with all these injuries that you get. I hear you complaining about your back and your neck and this and that. And I'm just like, what is it this week, Rachel? Come on, you didn't even do anything. But
0: yeah, so that's my story. What is your ball hockey story? Because I feel like it's more fun.
1: Okay, so I refereed, at this point in time, ice hockey. And I was refereeing a game of 16-year-olds, and it wasn't a high level. So, the thing about refereeing lower-level hockey, the kids are just as big and just as strong, but they're not as smart. They don't make the right play every time. Sometimes they'll shoot the puck at the wrong side of the ice, and you're not ready for it. (laughs) Remember remember when Cody Cece took a slap shot from the point and hit one of the referees? (laughs) <laughs> yes
0: and the i just was thinking, actually at that game
1: with uh, i think you were with his brother and his brother was like oh, i on. was with cole yes <laughs> uh and it's funny because the referee's just thinking dude you either slap that on net or you dump it in the corner you don't slap shot it into the corner but i had one of those moments where the other team was breaking it out one of their large clunky defensemen had the puck And instead of making a wide open pass to a player right in front of him who was wide open, he turned around and slap shotted it right towards me. I'm standing, let's say, in the left corner. He's on the right side. He's right behind his net and he slaps it right at me. Oh. And it's coming for like my gut. So I have to jump out of the way as fast as possible. So I lunge to my left. But what I don't realize is that my right arm is kind of sagging behind by accident. And the puck gets me right in the middle on the back of my right hand. Oh. Yeah, it didn't break, but I couldn't feel it for the rest of the game. Well, it was in pain, but I couldn't feel it for the rest of the game. So I did the rest of the game one handed, Uh, got to my car. I drove home with my left hand, which, by the way, is really hard when you have to change gears with it's not manual transmission. It's automatic, but still changing from reverse backing out of the parking lot, put it into drive with your left hand when your right arm literally can't move really hard. Went to the doctor. It was a bruise on the bone. It wasn't a break. So he said so it's it going to be contusion. more painful. Yeah, 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 so he said it's going to be more painful. It's going to take longer to heal, but it's not a break. And I said, "Great. That's awesome. We've got a playoff ball hockey game tomorrow." And I don't <laughs> <laughs> Ian, that means don't play. That's what everyone in my life told me. I said, dude, it's intramural ball hockey. Why do you care about this? And I said, because I suck at everything else in my life. And this is important to me. So <laughs> I taped it up. I somehow got a regular, you know, those thin little black gloves you can get from the dollar store. Yes. I put one of those on and Ian, then I that's stuck not going to ho- do anything. <laughs> I know. But then I stuck a hockey glove underneath and it looked like I had a right hand, even though I couldn't use my right hand. <laughs> And I took a warm-up shot in practice, and the ball literally didn't make it to the net. So (laughs) I'm thinking, okay, I don't have a right hand today. (laughs) How am I going to do this? So, you know how when you look at a player's shot locations, you can say, oh, this player is really good at getting to the front of the net. All the shots come from the crease. It was because you come-
0: physically couldn't actually shoot the ball that you had to stand there.
1: Yeah, I didn't <laughs> take any shots from the outside because I knew that the ball wasn't going to make it. But I got in tight for some deflections, for some backdoor passes, and I scored a hat-trick in this ball hockey game, and we won. Aye. So, was it super competitive? Was it the NHL? No. But did I feel like a badass? Yes. Maybe. Should you have <laughs> done it? My mom is still not happy with that decision in my life, but I stand by it.
0: <laughs> okay, so now that we've told our, like, being stupid, because objectively, like, what I did was dumb, and it has had anyone long-term Anyone hearing effect.
1: that story just says you're an idiot, and that's the hard part. When you're competitive, like us, and you're an unhealthy amount of competitive, which is what my girlfriend tells me all the time, you're going to do stupid stuff in the pursuit of winning. And when you're a pro athlete, you're going to do that to the nth degree.
0: Yeah. Example, so, Patrice Bergeron playing with, what was it? A separated shoulder, cracked ribs. And I believe by the time they gave yeah,
1: like, Zach Hyman playing with a torn ACL. Barrett Hayden. Was it a separated shoulder? Was it a broken shoulder? It in was that a, goal a grade
0: two shoulder separation.
1: So I have these conversations with people on Twitter sometimes who say, you know what, this makes me uncomfortable. And we talk about how he can't even lift his arms because of how much pain he's in. It feels like we're talking about gladiators here. But then at the same time, if I'm Barrett Hayton, I would see myself doing the same thing. I'm never going to be as good as Barrett Hayton. I know that I don't have any talent. But when I'm playing a competitive game, I'm going to have that mentality. And frankly, I don't get mad at players for doing that. I do understand a bit of the weirdness when we talk about, oh, that player doesn't even know where he is right now after he gets a headshot. And I think, ooh, you know what? I think we're past that. I think we need to move on as a society and take care of these concussions. But when we're talking about playing through an arm injury or a shoulder injury, leg injury, wrist injury, and you're not at risk of doing yourself any more damage, it's just going to really hurt. Is there anything wrong with really being happy for players when they're doing that? Because I think it's admirable.
0: So for me... Um... And I could talk about it now that the season's done. We had a player, and he was one of our... He was our top defenseman. Like, he was leading our team in scoring for a while. And this guy had a torn meniscus and basically couldn't bend his knee past 90, but he was still producing points. And Meniscus, that's the MCL, right? No, no, no. There's meniscus, and then there's MCL. Meniscus is just like a cushioning pad, whereas... Your MCL is an actual ligament.
1: I've seen the diagrams. And know there's the ACL, the MCL. I want to say the, the LCL, PCL. the PCL. No one ever breaks the PCL. Except It's really to hard to damage the PCL. <laughs> but yeah, so you have to really mess up your leg to mess up the PCL in there.
0: Essentially, he had a torn meniscus and we knew he was going to have to have surgery. And we kind of sat down and I said, listen, we have nothing to gain right now. There is absolutely no point in risking him playing and making it worse. So we shut him down. We just said, that's it. You're going to go have surgery. And he had the surgery. And now he'll be back on the ice by March, presumably. But it's one of those things where if you don't need to take an unnecessary risk, you shouldn't take it. Playoffs are a different story because there is legitimately something on the line. And it's a big, shiny silver thing.
1: I want to know the leg injury Kawhi played with after I want to say it was game three where he started limping against the Bucks, and he finished the playoffs basically as an old man limping on one leg. It's never been disclosed what the injury was. It's it's suggested that maybe he re-aggravated the initial injury and it just was playing hurt the rest of the way. But in the playoffs, in a do or die situation, I understand the player's desire to be out there, even if it's not best for his health.
0: Right. And so you hear a lot of like, oh, this guy was playing hurt or X, Y, and Z. But for me, like playing hurt in the regular season is stupid. Like it really is.
1: But aren't there degrees to playing hurt? And I think this is the hard part. So concussions,
0: full stop, playoffs, or otherwise, screw off. You shouldn't be playing.
1: But if you're a defenseman (sighs) who's on the penalty kill and blocks shots, aren't you always a little hurt?
0: That's bruises.
1: (laughs) Those are (laughs) different. Every
0: NHL player will tell you there's a difference between a bruise or, like, basically bees in the boot which is when you take a shot off your foot
1: and it's not fun i don't know how about a player who dishes out a lot of contact and receives a lot of contact isn't that's that player your, always gonna be playing a little hurt
0: that's there's a difference between and this is what um someone i learned this from someone there's a difference between playing hurt and playing injured right that's hurt key is distinction. bumps and bruises injured is torn acl injured is separated shoulder like, if you have to go through intense physiotherapy or potentially surgery for the ailment that you have, you are injured.
1: But and players you won't see play like, injured in the playoffs.
0: What's interesting is we track things at York, and you can see definite and definitive spikes in heart rate and a definitive decrease in acceleration and um, peak output because your body... It has to work so much harder to compensate for the injuries. So just as like a before we shut down that defenseman, he was wearing our tracking system and we compared it to before he tore the meniscus. And even in practice, in rudimentary drills, he was having to work like one point seven times harder than he usually was. So his output was it was way less and he was expending the same if not more energy so it's one of those so let's say it's an ankle injury
1: for fun he's expending so much energy to get bring that ankle back up to a point where it's somewhat usable that the rest of his body's too exhausted to do what he's used to being able to do
0: yeah you're compensating right so if you have a knee injury right you're gonna not push as hard subconsciously you won't even realize it your body's just not going to do that, which means naturally you're likely going to have to take more strides. You take more strides, you expend more energy because there's more repetitive motion, right? Then your heart rate beats faster because that's how it works when you exercise. The harder you work, the faster your heart beats. Um, and when your heart beats too fast for too long, that causes the fatigue, the lactic acid buildup um, in your muscles. There's there's so many things that are... Um, Impacted negatively by playing injured, um, and you—they're plain to see. Like they're measurable. It's just the NHL. This is where load management comes tracking. into play. This is exactly. where
1: Kawhi would tell you, "There's no point to playing injured. I'm never going to do it." Whereas a lot of hockey players will say, "Well, you got to play all 82 games. We're in a dogfight to make the playoffs here. Let's buckle down. Let's go." And it's a different in philosophy, I think, between the two sports right now.
0: Yeah, and I also think that there's this, it's weird, because it seems to be only hockey, and baseball, you see players get set. um, basketball... To be fair, baseball
1: like, is not a physically demanding sport, day in, day but out. But they
0: play, like, 160 games, that's You're nuts! Standing, but
1: a right fielder standing in the outfield for 99% of his plays, and then makes three catches.
0: I don't know, like, I've spoken to some baseball players, not MLB, but, like, college, and... Th- it's phys- It's maybe not because it's not contact the way hockey is.
1: It's definitely still physically demanding. But or especially a catcher, you think of how all- they're on their knees the entire game. It's like a goaltender. But can't what be good I'm for saying
0: you. is, okay, Boston, for example, they're clearly gonna make the playoffs. St. Louis, they're clearly gonna make the playoffs. They probably right. have like the top spot <laughs> locked down, right? Should Chera? Should Bergeron? Should Petra Angelo be playing? All the way down the stretch is that necessary or could they benefit well in Chara and Bergeron's case for sure
1: Chara is a classic Tim Duncan example where I'm wondering why we're even playing this dude he's 43 let's just give him some nights off here and there exactly
0: just have a seat in the press box chill out and but it's this culture in hockey which I mean to me I would rather like you're gonna be finished first no matter what so you might as well take a chill pill relax and then when we really need you in the playoffs because you know that both of those players are going to be playing close to 30 minutes a night in the playoffs, their body won't be as run down. They will have that extra opportunity to recover. That's why teams that are successful, like the Blackhawks of the early 2010s, Joel Quenville gave them a ton of days off. And it was so that their bodies could repair and replenish. And it We're was seeing like more the death of, a of the morning
1: game. skate, and it makes sense in the long run because what was the point of that skate to begin with?
0: Oh, yeah, we... We have option in university hockey to have morning skates
1: and we just outright ban it. It's
0: not Can happening. Can I play a
1: bit of devil's advocate real quick with respect to Do the, you know load what the morning skate
0: the morning skate the like? Literally the morning what was, it for? So like way back when, when you could when like, be hammered the night before the night the morning skate the to skate the to get like, all of the alcohol out of your body like it was that's what it was for <laughs> and I don't, you, I don't know about you but I don't know a out, ton <laughs> of NHL players that are going out and getting hammered the night before a game
1: I can speak from experience that at the uh, Eric Lindros uh, charity event where I was on Steve Dangle's team we had a lot of drinks the night before because we were celebrating all this money that we raised and then we had to be at the rink the next morning everyone was hungover over. And everyone played terribly in that first game, but then by the second game, everyone got it out of their systems and they were fine. You know? It was a morning skate. It was a morning skate and it sucked and it was awful and I almost threw up, but you get through it and then your body's ready to go. <laughs> it makes sense if you're hungover.
0: Okay, but does it make sense if you're injured? Like,
1: no. No, no, you should be resting. But I wanted to make a point about load management while we were on the topic In a week, I'm leaving for L.A. Me and my girlfriend are going on a trip for a week. We're going to spend a weekend in Vegas. It's going to be fun. I'm going to find a way to do the Leafs report cards all while away for a week. It's going to be a good time. But what I'm worried about is that there's a Clippers game we're going to. And we're really excited because we want to see Kawhi live. But there's a decent chance he might not play. And as a fan, that sucks. Uh, There's an L.A. Lakers-Pelicans game where LeBron's going to be facing Zion. There's a chance that Zion might be a bit banged up at that point, and his GM keeps him out of that game because he wants Zion to be healthy long-term. Long-term for Zion's health, that makes sense. Me as a fan, as a consumer, I want to go to that game and see LeBron versus Zion. I want to see Kawhi. This is really important to me, the basketball fan. And in the NHL, I think it's the same thing. If I'm buying a ticket to go see McDavid, I don't want him to be load managing on a game that I pay money to go see. So... Is it fair to the fans? I don't know. Is that the uncomfortable conversation we have to say where, where, you know what, fans, this sucks, but it's going to be a part of the sport because these players are just worth that much money? I don't know. But as a fan, I'm telling you that if Kawhi doesn't play in that game, I'm going to be really upset.
0: Yeah. So you're taking some load management. The next week, I am taking some load management because I'm going to Orlando.
1: I think we're going to pre-record a couple episodes.
0: Yes, and we might take a break for our own load management for a week. We might each give ourselves a week to take a breath. We both know you're going to um,
1: suffer some kind of injury, and it's not going to be much load management. For hey, man, me. I'm
0: going to Disney World. There, there's a lot that can happen
1: there. I'm going to, I think it's Universal Studios. I don't even want to go. My girlfriend's dragging me there. I convinced her to go to the Lakers game. She wants to go to Universal Studios. But I feel like that's the day where something bad might happen, where I'm not expecting something bad to happen.
0: Absolutely. All right. So now we're talking about load management. We've talked about players playing hurt. I think basically what you and I are getting at, and as I do more research, because this is quite literally what I'm studying, um, we'll have more to say on it. But the reality is, is there's a difference between playing hurt and playing injured. You can get away with doing one. You should absolutely not play injured. Like it's but when it comes to playing hurt, term.
1: here's what I want to quickly discuss, because you used to work for the New Jersey Devils, and you would probably see fan arguments online where they're really upset about Lineup Decision X. Yes. And I've been on hockey Twitter my whole life, uh, 2016, in terms of Ian Graff. He was born on hockey Twitter, and all my takes and all my terribleness is because I spent so much time on Leafs Reddit and Leafs Twitter And that's where I kind of built my following and became the terrible writer that I am today.
0: I have never logged on to Reddit, and I never will.
1: Yeah, so (laughs) here's what I understand from the Leafs' Reddit, from the Leafs' Twitter, from any fan base that's on the internet. They see a decision they don't like, it pisses them off, and then they tweet about it. But... I don't think we realize sometimes that coaches and management have some inside info that we don't have that is going to impact that decision. And even though this player has some really bad numbers over the last two weeks, it's because of an injury, and they know that, and they've accepted that, but they don't want to mess with the player's confidence long-term. How much of that goes into certain decisions that you'll see fans disagree with when you're just wishing you could tweet, man, you do not have all the facts here?
0: Oh, I think a lot. I mean... <laughs> I, it got to the point where, like, people were tweeting me while I was employed by the team being like, do this. I'm like, yes, I'm absolutely going to show this to John and be like, we should do this. No,
1: well, there were a bunch of times I, I DM'd you. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> you were not things. the only one.
0: Um, <laughs> but it's one of those things where pretty I'm much player...
1: Do it. Do it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we are not going down that road. Um there's a bunch of times where, like pretty much everyone plays banged up at one point or another during the year and you have to weigh the pros and cons and because of all of the insights that we have behind the scenes with Sport Logic. You can actually see what the differences in the key performance indicators are. So if they're significantly lower, okay, then there's probably key a performance indicator
1: like time with the puck on your stick it, or like passes various players. or that kind of thing. I okay. cannot and will not get into that. That's fair. Okay, I, I'm assuming logically that the play, you know puck moving defenseman you want in to pass the puck out with possession. Put it this way: want, every
0: yeah. guy has their key performance indicators, and certain players have certain performance indicators.
1: Some guys go hard into the corners, and if they're Yes. finishing their checks and getting stick on puck, that's their job. Other guys, it's their job to carry the puck up the ice with consistency. Different players have different roles.
0: Exactly, and so if you see those start to, to go down, uh, that's an indicator that they're obviously not performing up to their potential and that the ailment that they have acquired is impacting their play negatively. That's when you start to have the discussion. However, example, Taylor Hall, when he had the 26-game point streak... He was never 100% healthy, and that was, like, a statement of fact. But are you going to take him out of the lineup? Like, probably not.
1: He's He might win the Hart Trophy. You can't take him out of the lineup. Exactly. Your, te- your team's in a dogfight for the playoffs. And his performance wasn't deteriorating. The rest of the team, when he was off the ice, was pretty garbage. It can't was lie. <laughs> not great. But when he was on the ice, you were a very good team.
0: Oh, Paige and I? So, um the girl that used to work in PR, her and I had our, like, routines and whatever, but we, it got to a point where her and I were sitting together, and I would say it was, like, game two of his streak, we started sitting together, and I just said, ah, you know what, like, the team's doing well, Well, I'll just continue to sit with you, and then Hall kept accruing these points, and both of us kind of felt like, well, do we change it up? Like, what do we do? Not that we impacted it in any way, but it's one of those things where if a player's playing really well, you're not going to change anything, or you shouldn't, unless there's a catastrophic injury. Like, obviously, if the player tears his ACL, please take him out of the lineup. But you'd be able to see the performance indicators, and that is how you'd make the decision, because then you'd be able to take it to the head coach or the GM and say, okay, listen, when healthy, these are... The averages, and this is where he's been the last two or three games. Let's say there's clearly a drop off. Um, we probably should consider putting a healthy body in
1: in his place. I'm gonna name New Jersey's four highest scoring uh, forwards that year for fun here. Yes, yes, for Brett, 35 points. Kyle Palmieri, 44 points. Nico Hische, you know, strong season, 52 points. Taylor Hall, 93 points. That was a one man team. That team was. Fascinating. I was very happy that he got his team into the playoffs, and I did. He win the heart that year. Yes, he won over. It was McKinnon. him and McKinnon that were really fighting for it. But I like the idea of him winning the heart, even though McDavid is the best player in the league. Just because that's such a magical season for Taylor Hall. Call me a narrative writer kind of guy, but I like the storyline of that run by Taylor Hall. He's never gonna have another run like that. So it was a cool time. But like you said. He was playing hurt through that, and a lot of guys, if we're being honest, are playing hurt throughout the course of the regular season. They're professional athletes, they're going to suffer some kind of, after a a bad hit in the corner, after uh, they, they take a weird collision, a puck might get them in the wrong spot, and now you might be playing hurt for the next couple weeks. You can't take that player out of the lineup. Some situations, there's an argument for it, but when you're in a dogfight for the playoffs, it's really hard to make that argument, isn't it?
0: Yeah, like, at that point, again, those games mean more. But a guy playing Hurt in November, like, not It's different <laughs> than
1: February, March, April, when it's game by game, those are affecting your percentage of making the playoffs, which is stupid in theory, because those games in November should count just as much, but once the standings have been solidified and you have two months in the season, it's kind of like, okay, now it's time to buckle down. Yeah. Which always bothered me, in a sense, because... There's 82 games. They all mattered equally. The points that you gained in October matter just as much as the one in April, but no one talks about them that way.
0: All right. So that is playing injured, playing hurt, whatever. Um, We'll get into our Kovalev shift brought to you by Major League Sox. Um, use the code STAFFGRAPH for 15% off your purchase at MajorLeagueSox.com. Get yourself some socks. I actually just got some more. Um... As if I own any other types of socks.
1: I was wearing purple Bab socks last night. I, I think those are my favorite. The mental health ones. I also like the black ones where he has the mustache on his face. Ah, the Movember ones. It's a good one.
0: Alright, so we're going to talk about the Columbus Hockey Analytics Conference for this. It's going to be an extended shift. This is probably a 10 minute shift um it's a long shift this is gonna be a a, long
1: shift it's a three-on-three overtime shift where you just can't get off the ice it's a mcdavid
0: yeah it's a mcdavid an overtime situation
1: maybe it's a mcdavid we have the puck scenario maybe we're just gonna crush it for 10 straight minutes
0: all righty so i went to columbus this weekend um and they had a hockey analytics conference that was basically put on by the blue jackets alice and lucan did a ton of the planning um like I said earlier, it was the best conference I've been to. Um, really enjoyed it. The talks that were given were unbelievable, and they're all online, and I really encourage... I mean, if you listen to this podcast, you're probably interested, at to some degree, in, in analytics and the finer nuances of the sport. Go and some find Some of the newer talks. stuff
1: can be a bit scary when I was first getting into it, some of the really mathier stuff, but the way that they're explained in the presentations do a really good job of helping bridge that understanding because i don't get random tree foresting or whatever it's called when when we're talking (gasps) about some of the forest there is it's a way of sampling in statistics i don't understand it and i'm not that smart when it comes to that aspect of things but when it's explained to me by smart people like michael blake mccurdy or the evolving wild twins okay so
0: micah's presentation and alice and lucan actually had a presentation on like communicating and how you have to effectively communicate. And whether you work in sports or in hockey or not, I would recommend watching that presentation because she goes over principles of communication that are super important in order to make sure that your audience can understand it and different things to consider.
1: Talking about the idea of using the word shot instead of coursey.
0: Exactly. Um, And so I loved her presentation, but Micah's presentation, for those of you who don't know who Micah Blake McCurdy is, um, simple Twitter search but
1: hockeyviz.ca the sadness chart is my favorite one that he puts out with
0: Micah's presentation what I really loved about it was it was a super complicated topic when you actually get down to the analysis and I spoke to him about it after but the way he presented it was it was easy to understand like I sent it to our head coach at York and that guy when he needs to know something about any statistic he just asks me and he understood the presentation and and figured out how you can apply it. And so that was a presentation I really enjoyed. Um, Megan Chayka's presentation, really, really enjoyed that one. Um, Megan Hall did something on the power kill with Allison, and they talked about Columbus, and of course, Yarmo Kekalainen is sitting there, and Josh Flynn, and a bunch of other Blue Jackets brass, and they're just grinning because they know that um, their, pen, the, their penalty kill is actually quite dangerous offensively.
1: I'm surprised Megan Hall hasn't been picked up by an NHL team yet. I have to think that'll happen soon.
0: So here's a fun fact. I asked a couple people, like, obviously they're socials, and you just
1: kind of hang out and you get to know everyone. And there's alcohol.
0: And there's alcohol, and sometimes people roll down bowling alleys.
1: I wasn't at the Columbus one. I couldn't make it, unfortunately, but... I've gone to the Rochester one, I've gone to the Ottawa one, I've always wanted to fly out to Vancouver, and I haven't done it yet, but I think I'm going to do it, if not this year, I'm going to do it next year. We might have to go as like a
0: tandem. I mean, I go, my, my close friend lives in Vancouver, so...
1: You meet people on Twitter who you've been arguing with about hockey for the last year or two or three or however many years you've been on hockey Twitter, and then you meet them in person, and they're great, and you have a good time, you have a few beers, you have this common interest of hockey and stats, and you look at it in this kind of nerdy way, and you get in some really good conversations. I don't know, it's, it was always a great time whenever I go, and Allison's one of the best people I've met just from doing that in general. Oh, so the full fact stop. That she, yeah. She was kind of spearheading this thing for the, the Columbus Blue Jackets. She's always been kind of the conduit between John Tortorella and the Athletic and the, the things he says, and she's so good at parsing it. She did a fantastic job with the overall conference, so hats off to Allison. What were your biggest takeaways from Micah's presentation? Because that was the one that fascinated me the most.
0: Um, second period is the best period objectively, and then because
1: of the long change, there is more goals
0: exactly. Um, but what was interesting is when you are down two in the third and you score one. You would think that that builds momentum, but realistically, all it is is it forces the team that's leading to just shut it down even more. So his charts were super easy to understand, and he explained it in a way that basically, if you had the bus parked and it, you That's were, when you're
1: just dropping back five people yeah, into the slot, exactly. let's the try track. to block every shot here.
0: <laughs> um, and, and you're parking the bus, and then you get scored on to tie it. Basically, nothing happens for the rest of the third period because you both know you're going to get a point, which you and I have this talked ad nauseum about. This is my
1: rant about the loser point and but why it's But Micah bad.
0: actually proved it, as opposed to just people just saying it. He legitimately proved it.
1: I'd love to talk to him about the playoffs and how it might differ because all of a sudden the loser point doesn't exist anymore. But this is why you go to the conference and you talk to Micah about this kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, Micah and I actually walked to... Um, the bar together after the Columbus game and we were just talking about his presentation we actually talked about a bunch of stuff like his travel and if you haven't heard about his travel story go read his twitter it is highly entertaining
1: it's it's almost as good as rachel's steering wheel story no it's way week. better
0: it is yeah. way better because i lived it like he explained well, you didn't
1: do anything wrong i feel like micah kind of <laughs> made his own bed on a few of those dumb decisions but um i love so his... micah by the way he's one of the smartest people in the universe and you should watch him present because if he has he been a professor in the past I, yeah, he is. Uh, I think he's okay, a chemistry professor, which is like he gives a good lecture.
0: Yeah. And so um, that was his presentation. I one of the funny things uh, that happened was Megan Chaco was presenting about the rush and there was this graph and it was a standard deviation kind of graph. And it had everyone kind of within the relative standard deviation. And then there was one little mini bar that was two times as far away from like the next best guy. And she goes, OK, guess who it is? And she puts up a picture of Zach Cassian, and everyone's kind of like, what? And then she goes, I'm actually just kidding. And it was, of course, McDavid. But I think the stat she had was like, we're likely to see a player this good in transition one every 5,000. And there's only ever been 7,000 NHL players. So McDavid is quite literally the best rush player we've ever seen in the history of the game. That doesn't surprise Which me. Is, I gotta yeah. think
1: Pavel Bure would be up there. Real, real quick in the history of the game, not current players. Who do you think would be on that list?
0: Ooh, um, Bobby Orr was probably pretty good at it.
1: He's probably all right at it. I um, gotta think Rocket Richard. We're I talking ha- his would have but... to think
0: Jean Beliveau was pretty good at it. But
1: can we go post? I don't know, 80s, maybe 90s when, when players actually got decent at hockey.
0: and um, it was more
1: competitive. I
0: don't know. like I, I. So I think McDavid is clearly the best. I would say Beret was probably very good. Um, Ovechkin, if we're being real. That guy, I think Marty Turco said it best. He goes, when that guy's eyes light up and you see him coming down the ice, good luck.
1: He wants to rip a hole in the net. And he will, more than likely. <sighs> I mean, the guy has 700 goals. Stamkos in his prime had that mentality. You can see it with Matthews right now. It's just, it's so awesome when you have these elite goal scorers who know they're going to score and they still find a way to do it.
0: But it was, the thing that I found most interesting was everyone knows McDavid's the best player and that he's so good in transition, but it was by how much he, his box plot, like his low standard deviation was higher than the player in second place is high standard deviation. Like, that's how big of a difference it was. It was completely It's like a really insane. nerdy
1: way of saying he's awesome.
0: He is basically <laughs> two times as good as anybody else in the
1: league on the run. He's the best transition player in the history of the NHL, I think it's fair to say, as of right now.
0: Yep. And then um, we attended like the Blue Jackets-Avs game, and I was sitting in the corner when Mc- where McKinnon scored. And he was just like spectacular to watch and uh, fun fact i almost missed the mckinnon goal because i was too busy eating that hulking brownie that i purchased
1: i saw that on twitter i was a bit <laughs> concerned at first because I, I was wondering what kind of brownie is that rachel but...
0: no they i don't think that they can sell those kind of brownies in a I wasn't public sure, establishment I wasn't sure what state you were in i was trying to, i was looking up the rules i'm like mm, okay but no it was, was literally like... just one of those like um papa john's is in the Columbus Arena, which is beautiful, by the way. Like we don't have I would Papa John's
1: in Canada, by the way. I uh, think no, this is we what don't. What we're missing? We need some Papa John's.
0: Panago Pizza, um, <laughs> and so there was these three types of personal pizzas you could buy. There was pepperoni, cheese, and then B. And I was like, "What is B?" And so me and um, someone I was with, Dylan. Um, we go, what's B? And the lady goes, oh, it's a brownie pizza. And him and I immediately look at each other and we're like, oh, can we see that? And then she pulls it over, she opens a box, and him and I are like, yeah, we'll take that. And we just ended up eating a brownie thing for dinner
1: (laughs) i think your philosophy in life is to eat the most disgusting food you can possibly eat and then be super active so that you can offset it that's kind of the rachel dory way
0: yeah and then there was this (laughs) weird which i'm surprised we don't have this in canada they literally served bacon on a stick
1: oh i've had that at cd before
0: okay so it was this really thick piece of bacon i did not partake in that because i like i was already unhealthy enough as it was when you consider the alcohol and the fact that I ate a brownie for dinner, um, and and I had ice cream for breakfast.
1: You told me off the air that you offset it by having kale the next day.
0: I had kale and quinoa salad at the airport. Okay, so you earned your
1: brownie. Okay. All right. That's fair.
0: Yeah, but then I also bought like forty dollars worth of airport chocolate. Which okay, is like
1: I take I take everything. Say <laughs> but I
0: haven't it. eaten it all. Like it's one of those things where you know you can get like the limited edition stuff at the airport. That's what I bought. So that was Columbus. No, no comment. <laughs> um I did not have any trouble coming home and a lot of people did, so bless all of you, Micah. I hope you're home as you listen to this podcast because Micah, this turned I hope into like alive. an day trip for you. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um. It was like the planes, trains, and automobiles sequence, just going through his tweets. I'm thinking, what's going to happen next? I'm like, oh no way.
0: Yeah. So that Can was we read CBJ it out here hack. real quick.
1: Actually. Pardon. Can I read it out for no, fun? No, we are not reading that out. It is too long. <laughs> um, yeah, that would probably go- be like a. Five minute story, wouldn't
0: it? Yeah, go check that out on Twitter. Um, but that was Columbus, and therefore that was the Major League Sox Kovalev shift. And that was a 10 and minute shift. We nailed it.
1: <laughs> well, when, whenever you can pl- praise Michael Blake McCurdy, who's at Ineffective Math on Twitter, or you can praise Allison Lukin, who is one of my favorite human beings. I look up to the work she does. You got to do it. And the work that these statisticians and researchers and sometimes health professionals. There's different uh, coaches who come to these conferences. You learn so much. And I really like interacting with not only the presenters, but just people who come to watch. You talk a lot of hockey. You get into a lot of interesting discussions. And I think whenever we're talking about this whole analytics versus the eye test thing. Jarmo Kekalainen
0: actually brought that up, which was objectively funny. so
1: dumb. We all just love hockey and we want to talk about it analytics you know my younger generation tends to like this newer way of looking at things that doesn't mean that we can't also incorporate some of the older traditional ways of doing things such as using video to evaluate players because that's always going to be important but I like the way that these analytics conferences help push the conversation forward and I definitely recommend anyone who hasn't checked it out they have an awesome YouTube link that we'll be sure to tweet out just go to Allison L's Twitter and you can probably see everything from there
0: yes all right, so we will uh, we'll mailbag it up. We'll do a couple questions.
1: Mail it in, mailbag. We're
0: gonna mail. We have mailed it in today. Like we definitely have. So. Not our best game, but not our worst. We're contributing, although there are drops in key performance indicators.
1: I would give myself a solid two stars in, in podcast report cards right now. Well, this
0: will give you an idea of where I'm at. I sit on an exercise ball at my desk when I record this, and I just rolled off of it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All of right. course you do this on an exercise ball.
0: Well, it's good for your back. It's ergonomic or I have terrible something. posture and I turned
1: 28 this year, so I'm a bit concerned. Oh, so my posture is have.
0: horrendous. Um, okay. How can you effectively communicate your point, analytics-wise, without being a jerk? And I would say go watch Allison's presentation would be my answer.
1: Um, I'd look up to the nicest people on hockey Twitter would be my my starting point. And immediately, where does my mind go? Sean Tierney charting hockey as one of the nicest people in the universe allison l allison lucan love her stuff who else does a really good job of not being a dick but communicating these things in a nice way that is micah um
0: but i think it's like as a general rule don't be so aggressive about it you don't have to come at it with this is correct it's this is a piece of information that we can use to evaluate it's you can't come at it and say this is the be all and end all because then you honestly sound awful um, and that you're not open to conversation and then people get their backup the same way that
1: someone says oh well you know you just can't trust the analytics ever it's the same mentality of just completely dismissing something is never smart it's never a good idea idea you want to be open-minded And the whole point of analytics is that it's this new way of doing things. You need to be a bit more open-minded to be willing to listen to some of the ideas. You don't need to agree with everything. And there are times where I don't agree with the numbers. Tyson Berry has been keeping me up at night this year. I don't know what the hell to make of him because his numbers have been good. And I watch him every game and I don't think he's been good. And... It's kind of this conundrum I'm having with myself where I try to go, okay, what would they be missing? Here are some aspects that might be overvaluing, undervaluing him, but the entire conversation in the first place is something that you can have, but I would recommend looking up the best people on hockey Twitter, the nicest people. It sucks that we lost Matt Kane to the Devils because he was fantastic.
0: I actually saw and had a long conversation with Matt Cain this weekend. That well, was stole
1: fun. your job, but he's... He he's also actually...
0: stole my office,
1: fun fact. <laughs> well, it's all right, because Tyler Dello basically got Ray Shiro fired. So, you know, the universe is...
0: I am absolutely not going to comment on that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, but there's, uh, there's a lot of meat to chew on on that topic that Rachel's got a no comment. But uh, yeah. Allison Lucan, ineffective math, has some, some great stuff. Charting hockey is my personal favorite. I think
0: the just overarching thing is don't be a jerk about it. Like, don't come off so harsh. Um, you got to come off with the fact that, like, you're open to having a conversation and potentially explaining why you believe it, as opposed to saying this is the be all and end all of it. Be willing to consider
1: that you might be, be wrong, wrong. Exactly. at some point in life. Not necessarily about this, because you're definitely right about this, but about something else. You just might be wrong. It's possible. And I am sometimes wrong. And all hurts, right, when will we see
0: analytics used in arbitration? And fun fact, um, there's a picture on Twitter that Dom Gallimini tweeted out. And at intermission, the Blue Jackets actually had um, shot attempts, expected goals, like a bunch of... I'm forgetting all the other stuff, but displayed on the Jumbotron. So it's you making its way... know that's Allison pushing that. <laughs> oh, for sure. Um, it's making its way into the arenas and clearly into the front offices. When will we see... Things like points per 60 even used in arbitration. Because right now it's like goals, assists, points, time on ice. I think penalty minutes, actually.
1: I've got a funny anecdote about this because my friend uh, Theo, who unfortunately couldn't make it this week, that's the running joke on the Leafs Geeks <laughs> podcast, because we started doing the podcast in 2016 when he was in law school, and then... He got really busy with work and whatnot, so I had to do the podcast by myself. And that's basically how I've been doing it the last three years. But he went to this law event in university where he got to talk with some lawyers who did arbitration. And some of them were telling him, hey, uh, we recently learned that points per game is actually a better uh, indicator than points. So we've been using that. And he kind of looked at him and said, are you serious? Like, you you paid to do this? And this is the brand new revelation that you recently came to? So (laughs) it's I think it's going to take a while because I think there's a lot of pushback to just using things other than points and plus minus and time on ice in hockey. Because look at the way that the awards are handed out.
0: The fact that plus minus is used in arbitration, it just tells you all you need to know
1: that's kind of my point. And (laughs) I think we're going to get better, but I think it's funny. A lot of the players have pushed back to the idea of player tracking. And I think it's the older players because I think they're going to realize that they're not that good. And the 23, 24 year old should actually be taking their job. So I think that's part of the reason it might take a while before we see these things impact player negotiations, because the older players in the PA, they're not going to want it, right? Because it's, realistically the more information you have on older players all it's going to prove is that a younger guy should probably be taking that spot so i don't know it might take a while for being honest
0: yeah i think that there's first of all you it has to be cut and dry what can and can't be used i would like to see points per 60 used um or even it's a simple points but we don't need to have like or well, maybe add shot attempts But yeah <laughs> We don't need to have Crazy complicated things That let's face it Half the people sitting in that room Are not going to understand
1: But But scoring chances I think shots from the slot Is you know Yeah that's a, That matters That's yeah. a good thing And
0: that's something where um, I think we could see it It's just a matter of I believe it's a CBA issue So you would literally Have to wait till the next CBA And that's not for a couple of years Thank God Because that means we're not going to have a lockout. I get
1: get so frustrated with points being the be-all, end-all when we're voting on the Norris, when we're awarding the Hart Trophy, and it drives me nuts. There's more to the game than just points, even though points are important.
0: Alrighty, that is... I think that's this week's edition.
1: We made it through. I want to say that, considering we're playing Hurt, which is the big caveat here... We're playing Hurt, not Injured you might be injured. It's tough to say with you. I feel like every week <laughs> I still don't new. have a
0: car. Does that count?
1: What was <laughs> <laughs> your steering wheel doing before we on? The out of insurance
0: here? company just outright hasn't said anything. So like, mm, we don't know.
1: <laughs> because I showed a few people that story because I said check out what happened to my friend. <laughs> I told them that you lost your steer not you lost your steering wheel that your steering wheel was stolen. And they give me this confused look. <laughs> so I just play the podcast for them because I'm I can't tell it any better. It's a weird story. So I had what a few do... people who
0: listened to the podcast text me and be like, excuse me, what happened?
1: How How do you move forward in life after getting your steering wheel stolen? Just because I feel like I would be defeated.
0: Um, You hopefully get a new vehicle.
1: Um, <laughs> and
0: maybe don't go to school near Jane and Finch, which anyone who's from Toronto knows exactly what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, I'm going to have to find a new place to park my car. And maybe they need some better security, because apparently they have 24-hour security, and uh, that clearly doesn't work. Um, So yeah, I'm not really sure where I'm going to go from here, um, because I do have to actually finish my degree. I can't just leave. And I feel like that would be a bit of an overreaction.
1: Can you get the steering wheel replaced? How much is it to get it replaced? Like, too much? It's... Uh, it's a lot. It's, it's a lot. like uh. twelve grand in damage. So. What the hell? <laughs> oh my god!
0: Yeah. Is there insurance for that kind of thing? Well, generally, like what happens is, um, and I don't know, like i like I said, I haven't heard from them, but like they're probably gonna write the car off because that like that's a lot. you're gonna have to redo the entire steering wheel column, all of the electrical that's associated with it. So,
1: this started off as a really funny ha ha story, <laughs> and now it's turned your life upside down, and I'm a terrible person. Okay, I don't know so. the
0: fact that I still think it's absolutely hilarious might tell you what kind of sense of humor I have and the fact that i'm it's very dark.
1: This reminds me of, I got stuck in the middle of nowhere. I got stuck in Tweed one day, and my car broke down. That's not a real place. It's (laughs) somewhere off Highway 7, north of Kingston, south of Ottawa, I want to say. It's near the camp I work at. It's near the camp I work at in the summers over the last five years. And my car broke down, and I was driving back, and I had a radio hit the next morning in studio. And I'm just... (laughs) I started laughing hysterically because of course this happens to me. You get stuck in tweed and I'm like, let's go bar hopping in tweed to pass the time because my car is broken down. We're going to need, we had to get, Was it? CAA or what's the name of the, yeah, they came and towed the, the van back and my dad picked me up so that we could, I could do my radio hit the next morning. And uh, it was, it was a really, it was like a really crappy day, but my first instinct was to laugh. And I was on the phone with my dad trying to fix the car. And he was like, don't laugh. You can't laugh oh, at this. I have and- been
0: laughing about this for a week and a half now. And honestly, you just have to find the lighter moments. And you just have to appreciate that. Like sometimes you just got to look for for what can be funny. Because when you really think about it, like someone broke into my car to take a steering wheel. And this is what like- happens when
1: Brandon Press calls me Ian Pigeon, or, or uh, Jeff O'Neill calls me Ian Graff. It's funny and it's yeah. if you're going to get mad about that kind of stuff it's going to bottle you up and it it's not going to be pretty so so I maybe don't know. next
0: week I'll have a car maybe I won't I probably won't let's be real um but when I do have a car I will be sure to take a nice photo of it and we'll put it up with a podcast and it will be the car that has a steering wheel in it because turns out Ian did you know that steering
1: wheels are important to operate a vehicle it's good to know. On, uh, I was gonna say for Valentine's Day, your significant other should get you a steering wheel as a joke, <laughs> or for real. I don't know how much they cost, but
0: that is a <laughs> really quick way to get broken up with. So, if any of you are thinking about doing that for your girlfriend or significant other maybe just stick with like the 10 dollar box of chocolates.
1: See, this is like me going for the fart card and then just having a terrible Valentine's Day while all the other guys are having good dates because they're good boyfriends.
0: Exactly. Don't be <laughs> Ian. Don't because be me. I- I'm going to have to like message your girlfriend now and be like so you might get a steering
1: wheel for Valentine's Day. None of my friends can understand why she's with me. Frankly, I don't either. So it's it's okay. I've accepted it at this point.
0: That's fine. Alrighty, well, now that we've discussed the steering wheel situation, which is going to be a bit now until I get a new car, um, we will wrap it up and be back next week when Ian is in L.A., and I am on reading
1: week because I, I have- I can record from L.A., I can do it if you want, or are we recording on the Monday?
0: I don't know, we'll figure it out. Either way, there will be a podcast next week when Rachel is done all of her midterms. How many do you have this
1: week? Only three?
0: Um, I have three this week, but my one professor decided that he was going to make two midterms for the same
1: class, which See, I don't... You through worse. I think you've had weeks where you've had four or five. Oh, this yeah. No, no. That this one week where I had five. No, thank you. It takes me back to my university days, hearing your stories about the ridiculous numbers of assignments and tests and stuff that you had. I'm thinking, oh, man, I remember when... I had March break, but I couldn't enjoy March break because I had four assignments due on the Monday and Tuesday and
0: yeah, see, they, university the,
1: sucks. The
0: one thing I'll say <laughs> is they're doing all the midterms before reading week, so I can actually enjoy it. And then I go to Florida the week after that. So okay, I got two so straight weeks of fun.
1: <laughs> I was going to say any professor who had assignments due after reading week or had us do important readings over reading week. I know that it's called reading week, but, but yeah, come on. don't. Who reads over reading week? Let's be real. In your young 20s, no one's reading over reading week.
0: Alrighty. That is it for this week. We will be back next week. And
1: hopefully not playing hurt. You'll definitely be playing hurt. It's just a question whether or not you're playing injured.
0: (laughs) True. Maybe next week something else will happen and I'll just not have an arm. Who knows?
1: All right. Keep uh, both hands on your stick. Uh, keep both hands on your steering wheel, everyone. And uh, we'll be back next week.
0: Thank you for listening to the Staff and Graph podcast. You can check out Rachel Dory's work at The First Pass and Ian Tullock's written work can be found at The Athletic and the Leafs Geeks podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this. Also be sure to follow these nerds on Twitter at Rachel Dory and at Ian Graph.